Hello and welcome. Just jumping in here with the trigger warning, letting you know that in this episode we talk about miscarriage and pregnancy loss. If this is something you're journeying with or have done in the past, please take care of yourself and honour your own needs and capacity today. If this episode is something you need to come back to at another time, or not at all, we really honour your discernment and trust that you'll look after yourself and others as you listen to this show. How do you feel because you've been wanting to like jump on a podcast and get this season underway for a long time and I know since we spoke last like you've left your job uh, your kind of full-time nearly full-time job that you were in and you really wanted to spend that time focusing on the podcast and other projects so how does it feel to be sitting here does it feel like good like a homecoming does it feel exciting does it feel like forward momentum Mm, it feels like all those things it feels overdue Mm. um there's um an animal trying to smash through our window outside it's just our puppy um yeah it's it's been a, a long time um for me personally thinking about this and trying to be more engaged um, on the podcast and yeah it's so lovely to finally be here thinking about it and talking to you mm. properly yeah so yeah we can talk about the journey a little bit because it's been it's been a roller coaster year 2021 I think we talked about we did a 2020 wrap up didn't we we did and so in that in that wrap up we were talking about the the things that had happened in 2020 and um a big piece of that conversation was around um, the decision to have a have another baby and where, where we were with that. And so um, in February of this year, in 2021, we conceived a baby and um, we were over the moon and also terrified about what that would... the challenges that would bring um, in the context of our... Uh, five-year-old Millie and you know you just left your job literally we just got a puppy literally like it was classic ass wasn't it really yeah that was all within probably three or four weeks um I finished up my job we conceived and we got a puppy yeah yeah that was heady times and so that was a really big few months Mm. Do you want to talk about how that was for you? Yeah, it was um, it was a really um, full on time in, in in a good way, I think. Um, you know, particularly those initial few weeks, and it felt um, equally like um, my world was sort of opening up with the freedom of. Um, having more sort of agency over the work I was doing and and hopefully some more intention over the work I was doing. Um, So my world was opening up, but equally, you know, when there's a baby on the way, you become, or I become quite um, zeroed in on, you know, what that means. And um, so you're quite sort of 
driven in a certain direction as well so it's it was a bit of a contrast and I think that was really um that played out in the first trimester the first 12 weeks um where you were so sick um that the um prospect of me sort of being slower and uh doing less work-wise sort of evaporated pretty quickly because financially I mean we just we needed my income to pay the bills because it was really hard for you to get through each day parenting let alone doing work on top of that Mm. yeah so that's that's where we were for the first three months and then you know tragically we lost our little one at 12 weeks we found out yeah yeah yeah, and that was brutal because, you know, having pregnancies where you experience hyperemesis and for me, you know, every pregnancy has been harder and harder um, to have stretched so far um, as a family to make room for this being to come into our family and also on top of that the I guess two-year journey that it had been for me physically and emotionally and, and for us relationally to come to the decision to uh, not use rational thought alone as a decision-making guide which is something I guess we teach in the regenerative ways um, it felt like a really big hole when uh, we found out that our baby had no heartbeat just really close to 12 weeks and um it was a missed miscarriage so uh, the baby had stopped developing a couple of weeks before um even though a couple of weeks before that we'd seen its heartbeat and everything looked great so yeah it's been a really big time and you know i don't think a lot of people talk about this aspect but i as you know, fine to talk about these things, is that it feels like 2021's been a bit of a not a waste, but like I don't have a lot to show for it, you know, other than this huge gaping grief in my heart. And um, you know, I definitely think in the last few weeks, the first couple of weeks after the miscarriage, you and I were very, very close and connected. And then since then, you know, it's been harder because life and other children and work and all those other things. So I'm really glad we're having this conversation and that we're having it to be shared because I think this is the reality of relationship and pregnancy loss and miscarriage is that um, I guess we go through phases of disconnection and then it comes to a point of really that yearning to reconnect and I think that's where at least I am right now in this moment but I'm wondering like I'm talking about this in a in a slightly disassociative way not because I'm disassociated from it because I guess I've done a lot of work and had a lot of support and a lot of conversations and a lot of um, freedom to express the wide array of emotions that come along with a loss of this magnitude but I'm wondering how that experience was for you because I know there isn't that support for partners mm, yeah it was um, the first couple of weeks were really really difficult for me um, 
and I can't remember the time frame, but it, it took me a while to sort of to reach out to people and um, and even then when I sort of went wider talking about the loss on you know social media because I, I really did want to um, yeah I, I was very conscious that I don't see a lot of men or I've never seen a, a male friend in the online world share their story of um, losing an unborn baby um, whereas statistically you know it's it's one in four pregnancies so um, yeah I was and, and when I put it out there I got a lot of comments back about you know how brave it was sharing my experience of it all and yeah I was quite um I mean it was I did have a lot of support but I was, I was also a bit sad I guess that that's kind of where people are at with how men navigate loss in that form so yeah it was difficult um and and just doubly difficult because um there's not a lot of space to grieve when you've got two other small children and you know we are living sort of geographically removed from family um you know there's not a whole lot of support for childcare, you know day in and day out so you know you were physically struggling to say nothing of the grief um so yeah you know i'm having to do a fair bit of parenting and working and um and grieving it's kind of it's not a lot of space for that um so yeah i i did struggle um but yeah i i had some good support as well and um some somatic support as well which was really important um yeah, so it, it was a really intense few weeks. I, I felt like um, after I did sort of go through that that um, that sort of reaching out process, I felt a lot. I, I felt much more soothed um, in my experience. But yeah, it's really hard. It's interesting because I feel like it's almost the opposite. Like. In those first few weeks, I felt like I was playing the role of someone that was grieving a miscarriage, and I was doing all the things I thought and that was that I should that I should do, um, and I actually let go of a lot of expectations of myself. Whereas I think you went the opposite way, and even doubled down on that protector provider kind of role which I think is a is both culturally ingrained and also you personally have that response pattern. Mm, just a little. <laughs> and the only way I could go after the intensity of losing a baby was um, toward compassion because there was no amount of being harsh on myself in that moment that was going to bring that baby back, you know. And so I went really inward and I say inward but I also reached out a lot to a lot of people and was like I'm 
I'm fucking falling apart here, like, help me. <laughs> um, and I remember that time, you know, the weekend after. Um, so I ended up having surgery at DNC. Um, the day after we found out, it was quite a big uh, 24 hours. I feel really good about that decision. I have had some minor trauma from the surgery, but I went in feeling really supported, an amazing team. I call them the birth team because they did. They were there for the birth of that baby, I guess. And, um, you know, I, I did all the things and put all the things in place that I knew I had to. And that weekend we had a candle burning the whole weekend um, on our mantelpiece and people were bringing food and it was like the birth of a baby only we didn't have a baby and I remember setting the intention I started thinking about our doula and what I would want for that birth because we were so close to 12 weeks and all I had in my heart was this desire for it to be surrounded by love and you know, the thing is that that, that baby in the way that um, it's very short life here on earth manifests like that, that dream came to reality. But I find it so interesting that we went in opposite directions, you know. And then about two weeks later, when I started to feel like I'd had enough, not had enough, that my time was up and I should move on with my life, should I say because there was less questions about it and probably, you know, um, my own perceptions as well. I, I then started being really harsh on myself again to get out of bed and, you know, and that, I guess, recalibration is still, um, still happening. But, yeah, I guess... It's interesting. Um, we, we were very conscious telling being open to telling people very early that we were pregnant. Mm. Um, and I'm so glad we did that. Yeah. But it is, I mean, we talked about at the time that it's against the norm mm. to tell people you're pregnant before 12 weeks. And that's so sad. But, yeah, I'm so glad we did it. But I think it also says a lot about, you know, your sort of mission for community Mm. Um, and that really, you know, came home in a big way um, when we did lose the baby. Yeah. Did, and, like, did you feel... You know, did you feel there was some silver lining in that experience? I mean, I think there's lots of lessons um, and I really want to talk about them. I think the other thing to mention is that we told our girls that that we were expecting a baby and they were going to have a brother or sister. Um, Again, I have no regrets about that whatsoever. They deal with death differently and um, because they don't have the imagined future so much that uh, they dealt with that loss... I think this, the stress that resulted in our fields after just just surviving after the miscarriage was probably a greater toll on them than the loss itself. Um, 
But I remember, so I came home that afternoon after I'd had a scan to confirm that there was no heartbeat and, you know, I'd kind of prepared myself um, for that second scan. The first one had just happened in the doctor's office. It was quite grainy. I'd prepared myself for everything that I was going to see on that scan and how it would differ from the other scans I've had in my life when the babies have been living but when she turned the Doppler on and there was just a flat line like that was heartbreaking you know I just went into the toilets and and cried and cried and howled and but I remember coming home and you and I were both so like all we wanted to do was just hug hug our girls and and tell them that we loved them and I remember sitting in the bath that night and telling Millie about the baby and and now and you know it become part of their lives as well in a way and, but I, I have this strange thing that I don't I, I don't wish away any day of that pregnancy and I particularly don't wish away um, that last moment before the surgery of when I was sitting in the bath and all three of our babies were together, you know, and it's a strange thing to not not want to wish away so much pain, but it's also, I think, something that is regenerative is including the parts that are hard and painful, including death, you know, and that culturally we're pretty shit at doing that. And so there was two weeks where I'd started feeling better because obviously the, the HCG had started dropping because the baby was no longer living, but the sac was still growing and everything. And that two weeks I had this sense of wholeness and completeness that I'd never really had in my life. And I, I just don't wish a day of that away. You know, I would never wish that that had gone, even though the grief and the pain is so epic right now. So I just want to say that before we go into the silver linings, mm. not, not because, like, it's too much for me to bear, but because it's important to be with the really hard stuff and the painful stuff and the visceral stuff, you know, and um, my beautiful, one of my... Meg, just because no one's validating what you're feeling doesn't mean the experience of it isn't in your body. And that was such a revelation to me, you know. It's like we think that if no one's validating our feelings, then we're not having them or they shouldn't be there or that the embodied experience of them is always there. So how quickly we can include them and, and yeah. I wonder... Mm, it is quite countercultural isn't it to for your feelings to be 
entirely legitimate and real and felt in spite of any external validation. Mm-hmm. Oh, or someone like as we do to our kids all the time, like unknowingly and without intention, like telling them they're feeling something else, mm. you know. Mm. But I wonder, like, for you, because I got a beautiful question from a from a wonderful soul on Instagram last night after I did a post about the common wisdom that women going through a miscarriage or parents going through a miscarriage are offered, and and this soul was like, well, what what do we say? And I wonder for you, like, what what would have been so beautiful to be met with in that moment? Because I actually think, like, fuck, I would have said just the worst things to people before I went through miscarriage. I had no conception of how utterly devastating it is. I had no idea of the magnitude of this grief. And so I have a lot of compassion for the me that didn't know really how to meet people in grief in lots of different ways. Whilst I think we can also build our capacity to be here and have these conversations. So, like, what are you... What would have been really beautiful for you to be met with? Like, including by me, because I had zero capacity to meet you, <laughs> as, I, as I kept or, saying. <laughs> or our two beautiful daughters who um, aren't the best um, shoulders to cry on <laughs> in deep grief. Um, oh, I don't know if I have the answer to that. I think the, the probably the best thing... At, as I think you probably found was someone saying, I've been there, mm. I felt this, um, and I'm there for you. I think to, to have a shared experience um, of grief is really um, consoling, comforting. Um, it, it was... Yeah, I I found it, and I've said this to you, it was particularly um, gut-wrenching given how far along we were, one, and two, how hard those best part of three months were. Um, so, yeah, I don't, I don't know if I've got a good answer to that, but... Um, I think I don't know if there's a a wrong thing you can say other than oh there are probably wrong things you can say but <laughs> um, you know I I didn't have anyone say anything wrong like to say that must be horrible um, whatever you're feeling is valid you're not alone you know I think anything like that. I think you had, you didn't have people say wrong things and this is not about like... I'm probably... You had people say nothing and I think that you found particularly difficult. I had either people say nothing or it took a while um, for those words to come back. Mm. And that that gap, and I think, you know, I'm guilty of this as well, um... And it's, it's not exclusively a gender thing, but I think men can be particularly bad at um, freezing 
when big emotions or big yeah it's emotions the big emotions that come from big experiences are around um and it can it can sort of generate a bit of a freeze response and and a delay whereas i think from what i saw from your experience um you know a lot of your friends were you know seconds in responding um and and that felt different yeah you're right i'd forgotten about that yeah very good at forgetting things it's interesting because you know coming back to this season of the podcast a couple of weeks before we lost our little one or should i say we found out we had um i interviewed zenith virago who's a death doula and we had a long conversation about how to meet people in grief. So, you know, that's coming in the season. But um, I learned a lot through that conversation uh, that when I was going through it, I kept leaning back to of when people would ask what I would need. Uh, and I kept saying, you know, just, just loving presence. Um, because I think there's this false assumption that we have and myself included because of our own discomfort and our own lack of, of, I guess, or our experiences of emotional abandonment from our own parents, um, that we think that something we can say is going to make it better. (laughs) And Mm. honestly, there's nothing that you can say that is going to make the loss of a baby better. And not acknowledging that can feel really big. But actually, for me, it's far less about what one says and more about and more about how they are and whether they're listening. You know, it's less about, like, what can I say to make it better and more about how are you meeting that person where they are today because it's going to be really different every minute of that day and how big is your capacity to really listen without being triggered, you know? Yeah, you reminded me actually of the advice I would give. Um, and for me, the most helpful thing was people offering to talk or to hear me talk really um, because I, I really needed that um, that focus time to actually... Um, tap into my feelings um, because left to my own devices you know I could busy myself with any number of things Um, so to to have the accountability and the space um, to to be in those feelings was yeah hugely important and it's so hard like this is a skill set that I think it's taken us such a long time to build and like collectively we're just shit at like we're just really bad at not being afraid for someone in their feelings and myself included you know like I I still it's still such a work in progress so it's not like I don't know I want to say I just have so much compassion for just the way that we've become so disconnected from being able to meet each other in these places because um, seeing someone you love go through something really hard, we want to go to those 
tried and true strategies of distraction and avoidance and you know but I think the other thing to say is that for for us going through it every day hour by hour it's a very normal thing to be talking about for us during that and for someone outside of it it's this who may not have experienced it or may not seen a friend experience it it's a very foreign thing and I think sometimes that disconnect between those two worlds is like you know there's not this understanding that for us talking about it's really normal and um it's normalized and almost neutralized because we've been through it you know yeah it's a a good point um i also think it speaks to the way we sort of move through the world these days as well that to have those sorts of conversations you've you've got to be really um you know it's a it's a bit of effort for someone to pick up the phone or to drive across like we're not Mm. we're not incidentally in community every day with the people that we're closest to you know we're not living in a village with our family nearby or at least we're not Uh, most people aren't um with their friends and family and their closest immediately you know in proximity so there's there's physical barriers to the way we live our world now much more individualistically and um yeah detached in a lot of ways so yeah it's it like i was saying before it it goes back to how intentional you've been trying to build community and and you know i'm trying to be as well um so yeah it's a real um uh it's a really courageous thing to be doing both in the conversations and the way we're trying to do it it is courageous but it's also like one in four you know like that's in pregnancy loss that's not talking and including our beautiful friends who are going on fertility journeys like it's a lot of people that have experienced this particular aspect of life and I was so touched by so many women who reached out and shared their stories and and actually male friends and um and who you know shared their lessons as well from it and I think like you know just this last weekend I got my first period and I went into a bit of a spiral and not because of the bleeding so much like you know I think it's important to share share details because I don't think anyone ever talks about this stuff but I didn't have that traditional miscarriage experience or what we perceive as like there was epic amounts of bleeding and I miscarried in that way like there was none and we just found out um through a scan basically so I went into a bit of a spiral and you know in that moment every time I enter this new place of like oh what is this fresh hell you know I have these this support network of this club you know that I'm part of that we're part of and that feels very important um and I'm so grateful for for those who did reach out and then you know those who I've heard of secondhand who were touched by something we've shared because I honestly don't see it as brave or courageous to share this 
in really part of this part of life. I also don't feel ashamed of it. I don't feel like we've failed. I don't. I don't feel the stigma that other people do, and that's probably mm. like honest to God, like a bit of a just how I move in the world, which is a blessing and a curse, right? That I just don't see it as brave. I see it as so important and so vital to to us finding our ways back together and and restoring those lost connections. Mm. Yeah, I I think I meant courageous in terms of um, just trying to break a little bit the way the world or Western culture structures mm. our lives and the way we live and the way we relate to others. Yeah. Um, and it isn't easy, really, but it's so essential yeah. and, and so rewarding that yeah. it's not necessarily easy. Yeah, and I think these moments show up how your village building's going, right? Like, they show up how that is progressing, I guess, in a way. Not not that it's a measure, but that it, it really showed to me, you know, so often, and I think, you know, it's it's due to my own trauma and, and upbringing is the place I can go to is that I'm all alone experiencing these things, that shame experience of, like, there must be something wrong with me and no one understands me and, like, those stories. And I think this is been one of those experiences where I've been reminded of all the love and resourcing and capacity that's around me that I've built over time and and also I think just overnight this experience reminded me of just how bloody close to our vision we are like before the miscarriage and because I was so unwell but I can't even put into words the depression that you go into when you're vomiting that many times a day and your survival physiology is activated and like you know there's this whole conversation about that and how that's gaslit but anyway to come out of that and just overnight after the miscarriage just have such appreciation without bypassing like the shit bits but like we are so close and there is so much um capacity in our village and we have the bones you know and overnight all of this little shit that I was worrying about and being whatever like wishing it was different just evaporated and now I have this sense of it took a long time took a few weeks because I really had lost the shape of myself in that pregnancy which is part of the metamorphosis of motherhood right that you do literally get evaporated and then reformed but when I found the shape again I was like oh this is this life's pretty amazing you know like what we've built is pretty amazing Mm. and 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 it felt so far away from where I wanted to be and now I, I feel really close Mm. what's been like your experience of like the gifts yeah um it's similar i it is interesting i think we've talked about before that you often in times of struggle um err towards we need to tear everything down and start again and i err towards micro adjustments let's 
tweak a little bit here and move a little bit here and... Kaizen. You'll have to explain that to everyone. <laughs> no, it's just the this idea of continuous minor improvements, micro-improvements, micro-adjustments, yeah. From Toyota, is that? Yeah, well, it was from the... It was coined during the Japanese car manufacturing you can't boom. You say Kaizen and people... Then like, Google it. Just go and Google it. I need to Google it. Um, I'm totally there with you now, though. Like, I am yeah. so in the progressionist well, lane. What I was going to say is it's interesting that you've normally been we need to disrupt, like we need to have a big shock to what we're doing. And you did experience a big shock, which brought you to the place of looking at what we have with fresh eyes, I mm. think, um, because you weren't, you know, your metamorphosis led to, didn't lead to a baby, mm. but it led you back to here with a different perspective, I mm. think. Um, but you were the opposite. You were like, yeah. we're getting a caravan, <laughs> we're like going, you know, because I think in, in both our cases, what it illuminated was how little tolerance we have for doing shit that we don't want to do anymore. Like, I think that's where we both landed. Yeah, but you, But because I had experienced the physical trauma, I was more in the like safety you know, zone. Like, I wanted safety and stability. And you were like, let's just pack a caravan and, like, go away for the rest of the year. Yeah, I was... I mean, we were both very committed to taking something from this experience. Mm. Um, and what I... And, and remembering our baby, right? Like, not totally. just, like, moving on and, like, having another baby or, like, you know replacing it it's not a material object that you just go and get another one like it that's no. that belongs in our family that baby belongs and always will belong you know we already had the puppy so <laughs> couldn't, get, couldn't another get another one of them one. um yeah i did go to the other extreme of well if we've got notionally this space let's go outward um and rent out the house for a year and just travel or, you know, whatever. We had a lot of different options. Still do have options. Um, and you you came inward, which is, yeah, quite a role reversal for us. Um, but, yeah, I think it's... I think we're both looking for the same thing. Um, just Just different paths. But I think, you know, we have come together now. I think so, yeah, and it's taken a while. Like, you know, the, the million-dollar question is what happens now, and, and we don't know, and I think that you have to make peace with the fact that control is an illusion, which is... Um, Excuse in a, me? In a, yeah, in a capitalist world, the opposite of what we're taught. So I have less plans and more just... A commitment, like a fierce commitment, I would call it, to living our vision for as long as we're able in the way that we're able to, you know, and not worrying so much about what other people think. But also, for me, what happened was I've always maintained 
a little bit of social distance, should I say, <laughs> but even pre-COVID because of my own shame stories and, you know, how that's developed over the years. I've always protected myself by keeping arm's distance, I think, from people. And this shattered me into so many parts that I fell into the arms of so many people. And I had to give up the exceptionalist capitalist illusion that our shame story tells us that we're better or worse than people. And it's always this relative, like I've spoken about this before, like, like where am I on the scale? And I just had to be like, really become aware of the social capital that's around me, including most of the people who held me most beautifully were my people that I've mentored, my clients, people in my online community, um, which was such a beautiful role reversal to be able to be held by them in the way that I love to be held most, you know, and I've had to obliterate this illusion of hierarchy and this illusion of separateness and the beautiful gifts of that are just blossoming now, you know? Yeah. Um, I think literally what we were talking about today or yesterday about the mapping exercise, I think that's such a... Um, uh, such a sort of crystallisation of, you know, where we're going and what we're working towards. Do you want to explain that? Yeah, well, I mean, one of our beautiful people in our village um, who has been in one of my programs and now we're working together um, to develop our property into something that we've always wanted it to be, which is a place of learning, community, holding events, workshops. That's a village, right? And um, and we were talking, I was talking with her the other day about what are the resources available already to create this vision that we have for this property. and um, And I think that question has been at the heart of what's happened since the miscarriages, like all of these seemingly invisible resources becoming visible. But again, I think it's this thing of like, you know, we went mushroom foraging last week. This is going to be a really clunky analogy. I'm going with it. And, you know, you can go mushroom foraging one day and there'd be no mushrooms and then overnight all the mycelium like comes to life and pushes up immensely epic growth, you know, and it becomes visible, but it's always been there underneath the soil. <laughs> All the spores were there underneath the soil, just waiting for the right rain, the right temperature, the right amount of pine needles, the right, you know, like really amazing stuff that can happen instantaneously but it compounds right so I think what's happening now is it's felt like we're not making any progress on this vision and it's felt so hard at times and then suddenly yeah there's a shock and you see things in new ways or there's new growth that happens really quickly and it's it's beautiful you're just like mesmerized by my analogy or you're trying to think of a better one no i think it works i was trying to work out how to build on it 
please don't. Uh, it's not a good foundation. <laughs> and there's been a few downfalls of late and we've yeah. got some good mushrooms coming up. Is that kind of, can well, I say I th- that? Yeah. I mean, I think that all these micro adjustments we've made over years and new habits that we've made over years and like perspectives that we've built that are life-giving over years, I can now see the fruits of them in in more clarity, with more clarity. So the other thing, you know, is that we've had, like I guess it's it's all these relationships in our lives are kind of cross-pollinating with each other and they're becoming multifaceted. So it's not just that we have this relationship with this one person you know, who was in my mum's group. It's that now they're building a house around the corner from us and all of our kids, you know, play together and um, we, you know, talk about business things together and we support each other and we cook for each other and, like, you know, our beautiful nanny and VA Katie, like, came through a, another beautiful client who I met years and years ago as a yoga teacher and who we're also close with, you know, and it's just this beautiful symphony that the non-regenerative outlook would be like it's messy and chaotic, but for us it feels really nourishing because it's not singular or, like, unified or known. It's like there's lots of possibility in it on the forest floor. (laughs) I mean, just to explain the map thing like um he's still on the map well we've been invited to sort of draw the connections the mycelium as you if you call it um and the the different like opportunity nodes geographically around us in relationships um in partnerships in business all, all of it you know even where are the forests where the mushrooms grow? You know, where can you forage food? Where can you play? Where can you, you know, live in this way? I'm just, I'm curious, because um, we haven't really talked about it too much, but how important is place to you now? Way more important than it used to be. Yeah. I've the longer I, that. like the longer I stay in a, this place, the more important it's become to me. And actually in this season as well, you know, I interviewed Tyson Yanka Porter about it. I spoke to Holly Rose about it. Like there's several conversations that touch on this um, that I'm really excited to share. And, yeah, it's really, really important to me. It's almost like I feel like I'm just getting started and we've been here three years. And I think that's just it, is it takes so much longer than we think it does to do anything of value (laughs) and a value not in a relative sense of like something's more valuable than another thing, a value to us. Things take a long time to build sustainably and regeneratively. We're just so bloody impatient as a culture and habits take a really long time to form. And, you know, like it, it took us five years to work out that our daughter is neurodiverse, like, it takes way longer and that that's okay. And there's a terror that comes with that of like, shit, like I need things to be faster or you can go the opposite way and sink into, or I can 
like taste every texture of this day, you know, mm. even the mundane, especially the mundane ones. Um, and, and that's been a, a journey for us because three years, it's not a very long time. Um, but that's the longest we've been, you and I have been in one place together and we've been together 10 years. Um, so it's, it's a real transformation for us as well. Not to um, say we don't still crave adventure and movement and newness, um, but the evolution of settling and slowing um, and having a more sort of fixed community is, has been really, it's, it's the dividends are sort of compounding, I think. Yeah. But, sorry, I was just curious because you touched a, a, on a couple of the, um, the conversations you've had already for this season mm. and also um, the whole journey of discovering or exploring um, our five-year-old's journey. Mm. And, and that's a discussion we're going to have for this season as well. Do you want to talk a little bit more about where we're going with the conversations that are coming up? Yeah, so I, I'll caveat it and say it's only been really recently in the last few days that I've been open to sharing this podcast season because in a lot of those conversations there was reference to the fact that I was pregnant um, and part of me didn't want to share them because... I didn't want people to hear that and then to say congratulations if they heard it in isolation. And so I still don't know if I'll keep those bits in or not, but it feels important to go ahead and share these conversations because I think the whole reality of life and regeneration is that when we're having a conversation, we're only ever capturing that snapshot and, and that context on that day anyway. And that's the co-creation that, those conversations were in part born by the fact that I was pregnant and, and, and where we went in those conversations was informed by that and that there might be magic in that. It also feels like a beautiful way to honour our baby and, and to, to make them present in this season. Um, but, yeah, there's, a, there's emotion there as I say that because I also didn't want to go back and have to listen to them, you know. That being said, um, some of these conversations are so enriching and so beautiful and diverse and take us to places uh, that are ultimately reconnective, which is, I guess, the whole point of this show, the whole point of our work in the world. Um, I had someone who we do some consulting work with recently say that, you know, I have this vision that's kind of utopic, utopic like kind utopian. of a utopian yeah utopian and I do but I'm not going to be ashamed about that because I just have a really high I have really high expectations because I know what's possible for us when we're allowed to see and experience and experiment with different ways and when we're liberated from the confines of what we've been taught is a great life and instead we're given the permission to go where it is that we want to go. And so I think this season as a whole, if you listen to all the episodes, 
and some of the ones that you and I are going to do together is um, broadening perspectives, big permission slips and also just great conversation which I think is always something that's undervalued but something that's as rich a learning experience as like a traditional learning space I guess Mm, yeah it's really exciting I love that you know to say someone's um being utopian is is a bad thing has connotations of you know being naive or ignorant or rather than being hopeful or optimistic or um, striving to challenge the way we are now for something better. Mm. Um, and I think all these conversations are, um, are, are all of those things. They're, they're hopeful um, conversations about living the world, living life in a different way in the world that we have. Um, and that's really true, I think, of our life journey at the moment. Um, it's a it's a really conscious focus in our relationship, in our parenting, um, in our stewardship of our place and our land, um, and our community. So it's really exciting and uplifting, I think. It is. Yes, it is. And we're going to talk about um, finance. We're going to talk about, because we're doing some work around that, around challenging the idea that um, you just need to keep earning more to meet your spending more, more spending. Um, We're going to talk about your work and, like, that transition. We're going to talk about... People love work transition conversations. (laughs) We're going to talk about, they do, we're going to talk about um, parenting and we're going to talk about our space and how that's evolving and how we're stewarding this. And then we've, of course, got conversations with guests as well. So it's going to be cool. We're really grateful for each of you for following along, particularly through that long conversation, but really important one for us. Thank you for being part of that reparative experience for us and healing journey for us um i'm wondering what like your what question you're most curious about exploring during the time that we're going to be airing this season like what's going to be driving you over the next couple of months Mm, or maybe a couple of questions because i know you're still dancing with the education thing which we'll also talk about this season yeah i think um I mean, the big question that I probably have and have had for a long time is how can we um, live outside of so many norms but still within deep connection with people? So to be outside of, um, you know, to be a bit countercultural but to be connected deeply with lots of people, not nec- not just those that are on the same journey as us, but, you know, with a whole cross-section of people. Mm. I think that's really challenging because, it, you know, I don't want this to be an isolated experience. I want it to be a, a, a growth experience in, in relationship, but not just quantity and quality, 
So I think that's something that's on my mind. Mm-hmm. What about you? Um, I always have a million questions going on. Oh, yeah. Give, <laughs> give, give me your top, top ten. Oh, no, I'm, give me your top, top I'm couple. I'm getting tired. Um, I really want to know what it's like to not have a plan. Oh. Uh, so I'm curious you're, about you're that question. Come to the right um, right conversation partner. Yeah. Um, and I'm really curious about deepening in some ways around regenerative business in our consulting work. I'm really curious about that. And I'm really curious about this money question around finding different ways to live in the system and challenge the system at the same time. Mm-hmm. And just looking at some of my own behaviours that have developed over the last couple of years, um, yeah, I'm, I'm hoping to have a guess on about that, but otherwise we'll talk about it. So that's what I'm going to be exploring and I'm glad you're going to be doing it alongside me. Finally. Yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be really good that we're here um, and, and living, living these questions. That's what we're doing. They're living questions. We're not just conceptually talking about these things. We are, these are the things that we're coming up with day in and day out and trying to, um, grow from and through. Um, so it's, it's great to be sharing the journey. And thank you for being here.